Lord God, just thank you so much for doing what was necessary to save us, to bring us into your family. And so, Father, right now, as we celebrate with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and celebrate with those who are still seeking, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you will have your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts in such a way today that we will respond to the authority of your written word. Thank you. Thank you for what you're going to do here today. In your most holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's so great to have you join us here today. Um, you know, for those of you who are here, you saw a bunch of cards on your seats. Um, we have 27 ministry partners here at Grace Spring Bible Church, and we just want to make sure we get news out to you with regards to these different partners. And so one of our goals for these uh, cards is for you to be able to take one of these Pray for these ministry partners. There's very specific prayer requests on those. And then also, I'm going to ask you, after a period of time of praying for those, to call somebody up at church and say, hey, do you want to trade cards? And we could have a card trading frenzy of people praying for one another. And I think that would be such a great and healthy aspect for what we're going to be about. Because I know this is a very generous church. And we are generous not only with our resources, but generous with our prayers, and we need to know how specifically to pray. So I would encourage you, take these cards, put them in your Bibles, pray diligently for these, and then switch them around. Does that sound good? Yep. <laughs> good. I can tell the trip the fan is still having its long-lasting effects on the screw. Here we go. Um, today, I've got the fun, fun, fun responsibility to teach a subject matter that I think is so hugely important that the Bible has three times more to say about this subject matter that we are talking about today than even prayer and faith. Could you imagine what that is? Money. Oh, isn't that great? Money. We get to talk money today. Say yes. Say, man, I invited somebody who's new to church, and this is the first sermon they get? Yes, because it's so important. Jesus said this subject matter is so important because unlike anything else, money has the ability to be able to impact you in such a way that can cause real devastation and can, can uh, cost you peace in your heart, peace in your life. Jesus, in fact, said these words in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I think some people, when they think of the subject matter of money, they think of money as, okay, well, the danger of money is that that can become an idolatry. And remember the, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, have no other God but me. And so we put that into the idolatry category. But if I could just, as, as I was pressing into this and praying through this, it's as if the Holy Spirit of God said, no, Brian, money is not really an idol, Money leads you to where your idols are. Who really is your God? Case in point. Case in point. 
I love to eat. Okay? Anyone there with me? Okay? And there's another thing about me is I like to eat out. Now, my wife is a phenomenal cook. Phenomenal cook. But sometimes I could pack my lunch, I could go to work, and then all of a sudden it's about lunchtime, and it's like, you know what? I'm in the mood for something hot, something greasy, something, you know, like that, and my lunch doesn't provide that. And so what I'll do is I will go out to eat, and it reveals something about um, my loves that I love to eat, and I love to eat out. And that's what money will do. I can do that because I can. Because there is money to be able to do that. But I think each one of us needs to take an inventory as to where it is that your money leads to. Jesus said here is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so basically if your treasure is success and image, you will do whatever it takes to have your money lead you to those things that can help you have image. Does that make sense? Okay, you have a car, you love your car, and then you see somebody else has something on the front of their car called Rhino Guards. Have you heard of those? Rhino guards, it goes, oh man, that makes that car look good. My question is, when are you ever going to hit a rhino in Michigan? <laughs> right? But it's like, yeah, but they have it, and it looks really good. And I'm telling you, that's what happens. It's like, we've got to do whatever it takes to use money to feed our appetites, to help our image, to do whatever it takes to really serve the small g gods that we are inclined to worship, and Jesus loves you too much than to allow money to derail you from joy. Do you agree with that? Because this is not just a, a, a money talk. Sometimes people think, oh, there he goes talking about money. But Jesus talked about it so much. Could you imagine if we were following the pattern of the Bible, I would preach on money one every four weeks. Do you think our attendance would go up? Or Oh, he's talking about money again. All the churches after is my money. It's like, no, that's not true. But we need to get a really good handle on this as we're going through the journey through the Bible in a year we want to uh, make a case here today for gospel generosity. Pastor Kenneth last week talked about the gospel, and it is the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done to give us new life so that it leads us to live in a countercultural way. And when it comes to this subject matter, at times it's like, Lord, do you have a good example for us as a church to follow? And the Holy Spirit said, I sure do. It's in two chapters of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. I am giving you a picture, church, of what gospel generosity looks like. So turn there in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. It's on page 1149 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. And let me give you the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Paul was going to be going, the one who planted most of the early churches, the Apostle Paul, he had gone on two missionary journeys. He's about to go on his third missionary journey. And he is writing a letter that this church in Corinth is getting in advance. And he is saying that we are going to have a special offering because the church in Judea that is in Israel is suffering. There has been drought and the Christians have been persecuted as well. And so they're basically saying this church is suffering. And so on this third missionary journey around uh, the known world at the time, we're going to take up an offering for these Jews suffering in Judea. So you need to know that ahead of time. And here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul uses the example of the church in Macedonia. Now you go, well, what were the churches in Macedonia? Those were the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica. And so if you read, those are books of the Bible, uh, Philippians and First and Second Thessalonians. These were churches in this region that Paul uses as an example as to how to live with gospel generosity. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read his, uh, his letter to this church about the subject matter of gospel generosity. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Three times you see one word. Do you know what that word is? Grace, grace, grace. Let me pray as we open up God's word here together. Lord God, this time together in your word, King Jesus, may you give us the courage and resolve to look honestly at where our hearts are regarding the subject of money. May we understand that money is not bad in and of itself, but how we view the management of it can either lead us to joy and freedom or anxiety and even slavery to the gods we offer our money to. Show us what this means today as we invite you to open our eyes to your truth that brings freedom, I pray, in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today, we talked about the title being Gospel Generosity. Well, to be generous, here is a definition of generosity. A readiness to give more than is necessary. That's what it means to be generous. So it's not just meeting a need. 
To meet a need is polite. But to overflow in a need that you're meeting, well, that's generosity. In fact, we gave away, what, about 800 bags of groceries here on the community table uh, here. It, it is just, it was wonderful to see the impact that all of those groceries made in so many lives. But as I was looking at some of the bags, I remember saying, well, I didn't see that on the list, but man, that looks really good. And I remember seeing that on the list, ooh, but that looks really good. And really what it was, was grace bringers going above and beyond and being generous and say, hey, I love me some Reese's Pieces, and I'm going to throw this in the bag as well, and this in the bag as well. And I mean, it was so great to see that. So at times when it comes to the subject matter, I can feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I think Grace Spring really has developed a reputation of being generous, not only here in the community, but literally around the world, as you'll see in those 27 ministry partners that are local and global. So here, what is the driving force that allowed this hurting church or these hurting churches in Macedonia to still give the way they gave. Well, the first one is this, the means of our generosity or even the motivation of our generosity begins with the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. Now, for those who have been in church a long time, you hear this word grace a lot, and grace simply means being given what we do not deserve. And I think sometimes as an entitled society, we feel we deserve God's grace. And we don't deserve God's grace at all. That's what makes it grace. We don't deserve it. But as the book of Philippians says, it says, Jesus Christ emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. He, 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 he left heaven for earth. I mean, a beautiful act of God's grace. And for those of us who've been reading through the Bible, why did Jesus come to do that? He came to do that because back in Genesis 3, sin got in the way of humanity and a holy God. And Jesus Christ did what was necessary to bridge that gap. That is called grace. Grace is a relational statement. And that is very important for you and I to understand here. Because my heart continues to plead that those of you who have been in the church of Jesus Christ for a long time, that you understand that following Jesus is not rule following. Even about this money management we're talking about today, some people just say, well, pastor, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. And I said, no, 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 no. Now, here's, here's what we are invited into. We are invited into, through Jesus Christ, a relationship with the living God. The living God who invites each one of us in the way he needs to speak to you to invite you into this realm of generosity. And that's going to look different for every one of you. And that's okay. But see, the means of our generosity is the grace of God. If you look there in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning though he had heaven 
right there, it says, yet for your sake, he became poor. He emptied himself. He came to humanity on earth for you and for me. Oh, this is good. Good. Oh, man, this is good news. He does this. And for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Through what he did to sacrifice for himself. He said, if it's true that the Holy Spirit of God allows us and enables us to live a Jesus-continued lifestyle, and if Jesus' pattern was to empty himself for the benefit of other people, shouldn't we be following the same model? But not trying to copy it. It's inviting the Holy Spirit of God to move me towards that. The means and the motivation of our generosity is the grace of Jesus. But the pattern of our generosity, this is something that I think is so important for us to know. Because there is this word, or there is an activity that this Macedonian church was doing that even caught the apostle Paul off guard. See, when he was writing about this church, he just said, for in, in verse 2, a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. Now, I want to stop there because I want to get you into the story. Extreme poverty, this means that Paul probably felt uncomfortable when he first went to the Macedonian churches and said, well, you know what? I see the poverty here. And I'm just not going to invite them to take part of the offering. I think he could have felt that tension. That these churches, they're already going through a lot. So you know what? I will leave this invitation for the churches that seem to have far more surplus. But do you notice that the Macedonian church lived a sacrificial life? Sacrifice. That's something that we don't do very well. To us, it's almost like we will allow ourselves to be inconvenienced, but to actually sacrifice for the sake of other people can be very foreign even to our evangelical church. He says they gave sacrificially. So here is how that plays out. So probably what was happening in the Macedonian churches probably is that these probably had one meal a day and maybe a snack a day because they were in extreme affliction themselves. And then they heard of this financial kingdom investment advisor, his name was Paul, who says, hey, I've got an opportunity. There is the church in Jerusalem and they are suffering. They are going without food. And the Macedonians said, well, you know what? Either we will learn to eat from our snack and, uh, and give our meal or vice versa. We will, we will eat our meal and give of our snack. Either way, we are sacrificing. Our lives are hurting a little bit, but that is the key to the joy. See, they gave sacrificially, and because they gave sacrificially, they had no greater joy than to say, I can't believe that I gave this because we don't have much, but I gave it and it was so incredible. 
I remember as a youth pastor years ago, the first time I took teens down to Mexico, and we were working hard morning till night, and these people we were serving had hardly anything, I mean nothing, on their mud hut walls. There was one picture in one living room, and at the very last day we were working, they took the picture from their living room off, and they presented it to our our team of teenagers those that were working, and we're like, no, 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 that's, that's like, no, we could tell that's important for you, and they said, hey, with your love you've given to us, this is the least we can do, please take this, and it changed the heart of our teenagers to say, here are people who hardly have anything, and they're giving me something that's like their best, yeah, that's what you do, That led to their joy. These people had no greater joy than to do that for us. Because that's what thanksgiving, that's what thankfulness does. This is why this money talk is a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend sermon. Because ultimately it leads to joyful thankfulness. And and they gave generously and, and they gave extravagantly. They gave extravagantly. As so many of of you have stories of giving extravagantly. We've had stories here at Grace Spring where people have given away cars. And it's like, yes, but you could sell that car and get this much money. And they said, yes, but we heard there's a need. Now, please give this car to that pe- the, the, this person who really needs it and do not tell them who gave it to you because we want God to get the glory in this. See, that's extravagant giving. And the key to extravagant giving is embracing how extravagant the grace of God is for you and for me. But notice they gave voluntarily. Paul isn't saying, hey, you better do this. He's just saying, here's the invitation, and you choose if you want to do this or not. So this was the pattern of their generosity. You know what I love about these this last year and a half or two years? It's been a hard two years for a lot of people. But what has been good is there's been a practice that we have had to change here just due to wisdom, and that is we don't pass an offering plate anymore. Have you noticed that? Okay, there used to be a time we passed an offering plate every Sunday. And I like that we don't do that anymore. You know why? Because we just said, hey, give what you can cheerfully, voluntarily. And sometimes if you need an offering plate to come, you know, uh, Rob Kirschbaum and I were talking about it this week. It's like so many times it's like if that offering plate was coming, people feel like, oh, I got to hurry and go after loose change and, and hurry and throw that in. Well, that's not really helping you be good worshipers of the resources God's given you. It's be prayerful, be intentional. Give sacrificial, generous, because that's going to lead to your joy, leading us to the measure of our generosity. Go into chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. He is continuing on, and he says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. What I love about this is is the measure of our generosity, and that is we see that there is bountiful Giving. It's looking for opportunities to say, man, how could we bless the socks off those people? It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I want you to think of if you had a silo that is filled with seed and you had all these resources, but you only took a handful of those resources, and you planted those, well, you would have everything that is the life in that seed, it would grow, right? So, so you, you would have that happening, but the truth is, you'd only have a handful when you have all of this resource. I tell you, there's so many people who I've seen that are living just the joy of saying we are going to tap into our resources in a variety of different ways and allow the Lord to do more through me investing those resources in kingdom stuff than to hoard all of that for me. It's bountiful. It's bold. And it's cheerful. And I think, is there anything in which people have been close enough to you in their life and your life to where they see something you do and they are shocked by why you would do that? They go, man, you, who does that? Who gives a car? Who gives this many groceries? I mean, who does that? And it's like one who has allowed the grace of God to really take hold of my heart. Because that's where the Holy Spirit of God, He wants you to understand that when He is the treasure, then we give our first and our best. I said our first and our best because in in Genesis, the book of Genesis, you have Abraham who God calls to make a great nation and from through his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed and one of the practices Abraham started doing early and that is give the first fruits the the first 10% to Melchizedek and that was a principle a precept that carried on and so throughout the old testament scriptures you have this giving of first fruits in fact proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says this honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine i want to stop right there because those verses follow just after some verses that are very very popular which are trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So basically, the wisdom literature is honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. And I want to 
talk about the concept of first fruits with you for a second. First fruits are your first and your best. So imagine yourself as a farmer. You have now cultivated, you've planted, the, uh, the crop is now springing forth in harvest. And now um, what the Lord calls you to do is give of your first fruits. Well, when you give of your first fruits, what's happening to your trust? You are trusting God that there's going to be more crops after this. It says, but we're given no guarantees. Well, it's an act of faith to give the Lord your first and your best. And so, um, you know, there, there could be a drought coming. There could be extensive rains coming that flood out your crop. There could be all of that. But when you give your first fruits to God, you honor Him with your first and your best. And so it's a principle that we see um, throughout the scriptures. Now, a question at times that I get asked is, is the principle of a tithe pertinent for the church of Jesus Christ today? Now, sometimes in church terminology, you hear this word tithe mentioned. Tithe literally meant tenth. And the principle was seen in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. But what is very fascinating is that Jesus, when it was anything having to do with giving, it was give according to the measure of grace you have been given. That's the standard. It's not 10%. And in fact, if um, the New Testament was all about the tithe, then guess what would happen? Paul could have easily said in our text today, hey, remember the tithe, give 10%. Give 10%. That should about cover it. But he doesn't put that yoke on the people. I think it's so important for us to understand that. In that he just said, according to the measure of grace given to you. Now here's what I did a little bit of research on this last week. That the average American today gives 1.5% of their income to charitable causes. 1.5% on average. It is politically correct today that if you are starting a business, that you give it to some charitable, find some charitable uh, organization to give a percentage of your proceeds to. Well, the amazing thing is that is a God-given principle. But now the question is, okay, if those who do not know Jesus, are giving on average 1.5% of their income to charitable contributions, what do you think the difference is of those whose lives have been impacted by the grace of God? What do you think the average evangelical believer gives? 2.5%. So that means Jesus makes a 1% difference in people's giving patterns. I know some of you go, oh, that's, that's embarrassing. Well, because we live in such an entitled culture, we have not allowed the grace of God to penetrate deeply our hearts. We think that we deserve everything that God has given us, and we don't deserve it, and we, yet we get it. And God says, hey, I designed you. I created you. I've created you to be generous as I am generous, and I want to guard you from being selfish because selfishness is going to rob you. It's going to rob you. And so, 
The illustration of generosity we have here in verses 9 and 10 of our text today is sowing and reaping. Well, actually, look at verse 10. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, you notice there, it talks about sowing and reaping, and and it says that the Lord gives you seed and he gives you bread. So in that illustration that the word of God gives us, it's almost like he's given you bread for food, you know, our prayer, Lord, give us this daily bread, but he's also giving you seed for investing. It's planting that. It's allowing that to grow. It's a step of faith to say, okay, I'm going to grow this. Now, when that seed grows, let's just envision it growing like bread. And if we just keep eating all of the bread that that seed is producing, we are not acting as the conduits that God designed his church to be to a hurting world. He says, you don't plant seed just to benefit yourself. You plant a ton of seed so that it could be bountifully and so many more people can be impacted. And see, that is the lesson here of these two uh, illustrations, sowing and reaping. See, and so the impact of our generosity in the text we just read, uh, our generosity does two things. It, it meets needs. See, needs are supplied. When people said, yes, God will meet the need. Yes, God will meet the need. But he uses his bride, the church, to meet so many needs. And Grace Spring, we have been able to provide and meet so many different needs. It's been a beautiful thing. But see, I talk to some different people at church, and, and they just go, well, yeah, I, I haven't given to church here in a long time, but I give to all these other things. And it's like, man, I'm so glad you do, but I'm also so glad that not everybody else has adapted your very own giving patterns, because we got to pay the bills. And I praise God that even though our um, budget increased, I believe, 4% over last year, that we are still meeting our budget because of our giving. We praise God for that. But I also know that when I go to YFC events or I go to alternatives events or, or these other ministry partner events, I see Grace Springers there. And you know what that's telling me? That they're not only giving to the offering plate of which um, when you're giving into the boxes or you're paying online, that is benefit, benefiting our partners all over the world. But I also know that you guys are giving above and beyond that to other ministries that the Holy Spirit of God is putting on your heart. Way to go. But see, so many churches, they feel like they have to preach the tithe over and over and over so that some people might get it. And there can be kind of the shame and guilt put on people. And I hope everything you get from this stage when it comes to giving is determine in your heart what you should give and pray through that. And if you've never given anything, I would encourage you to start at 1.6% so that Jesus at least has 0.10%, right? Is that the math right? Yeah, we'll get 0.10% because of just how great Jesus is. Now, I know that sounds embarrassing, but 
But really, I encourage everybody, and if you think this is a way Grace Spring is trying to get more money, then determined to give that elsewhere. I just want you, like Jesus, to be able to um, get and understand that Jesus doesn't want from you. He wants for you. Let me illustrate. There is a uh, story in scriptures. Remember of the rich young ruler? Now think of those three words. Rich, that's pretty nice. Got a lot of means. He's young. I'm learning that's really nice because it's tough getting older. And he's a ruler. So he's got some power. He's got some influence. He's got some control. So this is a rich young ruler who, when he went to bed at night, still had this lingering problem, even though he was a rich young ruler. And that is, ooh, I'm going to die one day. And what's going to happen to everything that I'm amassing for myself? And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I get eternal life? And you know what Jesus said? Because Jesus knew his heart. He says, sell everything that you have and give it to me. Oh, yeah, thank you. Guys, no, he did not say give it to me. He said give it to the poor. And then he said something even more more profound. He says, and then follow me. He says, sell it all, and then follow me. See, he's invited into a relationship with the living God And this guy was sad of heart because he loved his money. And he ends up not taking the invitation. To which Jesus said in another passage, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, you might be here saying, and I see some college students here, and you're going, hey, I, I am not rich. To which you need to do your research. You need to do your research because for anyone who is making um, twenty-five dollars to $28,000 or, yeah, right around there per year, you are in the top 1% of the world's income makers. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 0.37% of the income makers. Is that amazing? And you go, well, that's not apples to apples. It's expensive to live here in America. Yes, it is. But when I was doing ministry for years in Mombasa, Kenya, I was praying with pastors, and those pastors knew that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America was anemic. You know why? Because they were deplete of resources. The average income in Mombasa, Kenya at the time I was there was $50 per month. That was their income, $50 per month. And we have so much supply here. And they said, you have no idea the resources we need. And the church of Jesus Christ used to flood us with resources, and now they don't. And so now we pray for the persecution of the church in America, not as retaliation, but to clean up the church again, to make it strong again, to embrace the grace of God again, so that they will be generous like they once were decades ago. Isn't that profound? I mean, think about that, church. 
See, the impact of our generosity is needs are supplied, but here's the greatest thing. This is what makes this such a great Thanksgiving sermon is that it produced thanksgiving to God. That when you are functioning in the way that God has designed his church to function and you are meeting ways in bountiful ways, uh, extravagant ways, ways that just don't make sense, the world looks at it and says, why would you do that? And it's like, here's why I do that. Because the grace of God on me and Jesus is the one who became poor so that, so that I might get an inheritance. And so therefore, I now sacrificially give to you as a bridge so that you will also see Christ in me and this encounter might be able to turn you on to the beauty of the love of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is why gospel generosity is so important. It's so important. I thank God. I thank God that he loved us enough to keep us from becoming selfish with our money. But you know, the most amazing thing about this story, and I want you to get into scripture with me. Who was the church of Judea? What nationality was that comprised of? Jews. Okay, now in Corinth, were those Jewish believers or were those Gentile Christ followers? Those were Gentile Christ followers. Do you know Jews in Israel had a statement? The rabbis had this thing, and and sorry for you women, but here's what it said. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. That's what the rabbis would say, okay? So now you have the beauty of the miracle of the grace of God saying this. That now, Gentiles, you're going to help furnish the needs of Jews. And Jews, those that you had despised at one time, they're the ones who are going to meet your, your needs. And it's going to be a beautiful unification that we're going to talk about more next Sunday. But it's going to be, man, this is a beautiful thing. And so, church, there is um, this fact that Jesus didn't come to take sides, Jew or Gentile. He came to take over. He came to take over. And I would encourage us as we go into this time of response that you evaluate. Man, where does my money trail lead me? Where does my money trail reveal about my heart? What's going on here in this money trail? Am I uh, spending a lot of money on my comfort? Am I spending a lot of money on trying to have more control? Am I spending a lot of my money on my comforts? Or am I investing in something that is going to last for an eternity? I tell you, that's the question for all of us here today. And I hope and pray that the word of God has spoken, that I have gotten out of the way, that you have just listened to the word of God and how the Holy Spirit of God right now might be prompting you to respond. God loves you too much to be selfish, but he's given you the means through his grace to motivate you and prompt you to look at your resources And leverage your resources in such a way that people give thanksgiving, not to you, but to God, because of your obedience. Amen? Can you pray with me? Lord God, 
I have done what you have positioned me to do, and that is to preach a word of a, both of encouragement and warning. Lord, may the truth of your word develop maybe some new habits with their finances that lead to greater kingdom investment in ways they may never have even considered before today. But may this be fueled not by duty, but by the grace given by you, the one who made himself poor so that we might become rich, following your means, doing what you did, and that is a life of sacrifice, as this is where the joy is. Lord, may our hearts find our rest in being wise money managers. Lord, may you be worshiped through our offerings, not just today, but in the giving of our time, our talents, our treasures in ways that bring glory and honor first and foremost to you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.